Hey, what's up, Blazer fans? Welcome to the Blazer's Edge podcast. I am Tara Bowen Biggs, joined once again by Danny Morang. Danny, how's it going? Well, hello, hello. But uh, we're going to keep it short and sweet like uh, we did last time because we have another fantastic guest. That is uh, correct. Joining us today, the Portland Trailblazers announcer, we have Lamar Hurd with us. Thank you so much for joining us today, Lamar. I'm happy to join you guys. Thanks for having me. Hey, man, thank you for coming on. Little little weekend edition Lamar Hurd. I mean, uh, for everybody out there, I mean, I guess we would be still technically, what, Western Conference semis right now? Or are we at Western Conference finals? Um, I think we're I think we'd be the conference. What is the date actually? <laughs> it all blends together. I had a look. I don't know, 17. Yeah, 17. So yeah, we we'll get we'll close see. to the conference finals right now, I guess. Like, I guess probably like game two or something like that. Like, right yeah. around. I just depend yeah. on Facebook to remind me, like, remember this from a year ago or from yeah. five years ago? Exactly. And it's funny because we actually had you on Outsiders. I think this week, I think the Denver week is when, right. is when we had you on. No, you know what? It was right after, I don't know if the Denver series had started yet. I feel like it was, or like, maybe it, I know, it, we were game days. Was it on? Yeah. So that's, so yeah, it's been, I think you're right. I think you're right. right. Semifinals, conference finals, right about there now. Yeah. God. Right. Wow. And we were talking about the OKC <laughs> series. And yeah, looking ahead. That's right. Wow. <laughs> what a year it's like been, so huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's start off by just checking in and finding out how you're doing, Lamar. And like, you know, how have you been since the stoppage? I've been great. I, I really have been. I try to always find the good in any situation, uh, no matter how bad it can get. And I saw a quote, I think. Like right when this whole thing first hit, like when all the pro leagues stopped and, you know, people were issued the stay home, stay healthy order. And I, I don't know the quote word for word, but it was something to the effect of we're all dealing with the same problem, but we're in a different boat. Something like that, something to that effect. And it's so true. And there's there's we're all going through this pandemic at the same time, but we have different resources maybe available to us. There are some of us who still have a job, whereas there are some people who don't have a job. There's some of us who have good health and there's some of us who don't. And so I just try to, I guess, assess all the the positives in my life. And I try to I try to do that, not just during the pandemic time, but really just every day. And uh, just try to really soak up in the gratitude. So uh, for me, I feel like I, I, I'm in a place of privilege to a degree because I do still have a job. I do still have relatively good health. Um, I, I have a partner here at home. There's some people who are suffering from really severe depression right now because they don't have anybody that they can talk to. They don't have a close friend. And so... As I look at myself, uh, I've been totally fine, Tara, and I have no complaints. But like everybody else, I I would like to see, I guess, whatever's going to be the new normal life come back and see sports come back and see restaurants reopen and all of that stuff. Not just for myself, but for everybody. Like, just I I see a lot of people suffering right now, as I'm sure you guys do, too. And so I just want to see everybody happy. But that's a long about way to answer your question by saying I'm totally fine and I'm just grateful. And now you do have something going on right now that you're, you're, you're trying to, and again, you're talking about working from a place of privilege and trying to help folks out with, with herd mentality. Tell us a little bit about what that is and what you're trying to accomplish. So herd mentality is a show that started uh, now seven weeks ago. And it's basically a show that's all about spotlighting a lot of the good people in our community who are good every day. It, the, the show really has very little to do about the pandemic, but it's it has started during this time. Uh, the show has been something that I've wanted to do. I didn't know in what form, but I've known for a really long time since I first really heard the phrase herd mentality, which was years ago when I was working in the Pac-12 network. It was a basketball segment that I would do at the Pac-12. And a friend of mine who's a producer there came up with the name and said, hey, what do you think about it? And at that time in my life, I had never really heard the phrase herd mentality and understood what the the bigger picture of the word is. 
And so um, I just knew at that time that I wanted to do something, I guess, of a bit greater significance with the name because I thought like that is a cool name. You know, so what can you do with that of greater importance and impact than just like a basketball segment? So it's always something that's been in the back of my mind. And I've always known that I wanted to do some type of television where it was didn't have to be sports related, but it was like helping bring people up who maybe wouldn't have a chance to be on TV otherwise, or nobody would care about otherwise. And um, just give them a platform to kind of speak their truth and get people to know about them. And a lot of these people on the show that I bring on, where I bring on two guests each episode, it's once a week, airs on Thursdays, is um, I I wanted to uh, find people that I've already been working with. I've been in the Portland area since 2007. That's kind of like when I settled down here after playing a season in Germany. And from that time on, I was working with kids in basketball and like working with people in the community. And in working with kids in basketball, I always wanted to kind of connect the two because I had that growing up. My basketball coach kind of used my basketball passion to help lead me in life and help me just understand bigger picture items. And so I just wanted to do that. And so I got connected with all these community groups and there's all these people I'm working with and I'm seeing behind the scenes these people who like a lot of people just don't care about. For instance, there's one group I work with. It's a Title I school in Hillsboro. It's called Vern McKinney Elementary. Been working with them for years. I've watched them use the last few of their Title I dollars to fund kids in the summer to have kind of clinics, camps, because they would feed the kids there. And one reason they said that they would do that is because if they didn't do that, those kids wouldn't be eating lunch during that hour. And the guy who used to be the principal there, who's now the principal at South Meadows Middle School, which is a school that I'm just starting to work with, he uh, he's talking about gratitude. He's always so grateful and would tell me that he's grateful that my group would come over there because nobody else in a competitive basketball landscape would give his kids a time of day. Because generally, they're not kids that are going to be getting Division I scholarships one day, maybe have a chance to make it to the NBA. There's kind of no return on investment, as sad as that is to say. But in the competitive basketball world, that's what a lot of people are looking for. And I'm not getting into whether that's right or wrong. Different people have their different motives and motivations. And I just speak to what I do and why I do it. Um, But the show gives me an opportunity to put that principle of that school in front of everybody else so that you guys can hear his heart the same way that I know it. So that if there's something that the viewer sees and connects to and decides they want to be a part of, they now have the chance to. So I've been really excited about the show. I'm glad we rolled it out. Like I said, it's not about the coronavirus. We weren't even going to roll it out, but uh, the the leadership there at NBC Sports Northwest said, "I, I think this is a good time to at least just do it in a totally different form. As you guys know right now, all television isn't in its normal form. So um, we're just doing like an interview style show right now, but that was never the intended vision. And the hope is that we can get to the intended vision later on once we return to whatever's the new normal of life, where we go and we're actually a a part, uh, a physical part of what these great organizations are doing. You've just touched on so many things that are... (laughs) of interest to me and close to my heart. I'm not quite sure where to start with them. Um, But I'm going to start with kind of basketball as a connector. Um, One of the things that, you know, I'm always wondering about is just, just a small thing, which is like, how can we change the world and use basketball and sports to do it? Um, And I'm always looking at it like from the, the fans point of view, because that's my lane is, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm a fan. I've never been more than that, you know, more than just a casual sports player, but, you know, a big fan. And, you know, for fans, it brings us together in a lot of ways. Uh, But one of the things I've been reading about a lot lately is the youth, you know, the youth basketball uh, scene and the different ways that, um, you know, it impacts the lives of the players who go through the youth basketball thing. So I think I'm going to start off by asking you, um, what did youth basketball mean to you as a player? And what did you learn that you've carried forward? Cause it seems like there's a whole lot of things that uh, you learned that you're actively putting into place today. Yeah, there is a whole lot. The, I guess the biggest thing that I learned, if I had to just, just put it in one takeaway, it's the, the level of significance that, that you can have on somebody's life 
as it pertains to youth basketball, um, when you when when they have a passion for that. Like me as a kid, I grew up in Houston, Texas. Some people know my story, some don't. So I'll just try to quickly run through it to kind of tie this all together. But I grew up in a single parent home. My mom was the one who raised us. My dad was gone by the time I was like two years old. Um, he was still within the city limit. So I was seeing from time to time, but he was never a real tight part of my life. And uh from the time I was really young, I adopted basketball. My mom was the biggest basketball fan in the world. And so there'd be times where she'd be watching the game. And I, as a little kid, I remember like seeing basketball on TV and it got to the point where I forgot which birthday it was. I, I should probably find this out, but I feel like I was like five or six and uh, my godparents got me a Jordan jammer basketball set for Christmas. And I loved it. I played on it all night long. And like, I wasn't one of the kids that got five, 10, 15 presents per Christmas. It's like you got one or two, you know, solid presents and, and you rolled with that. And so uh, when I got that Jordan Jammer, I didn't even want anything else. And I broke it because I dumped on it. And so my godparents asked me, what did I want for the next Christmas that next year? And I said, I want another Jordan Jammer. So that's like, that's my earliest memories of my love for basketball. And it only grew from there. And so it got to the point where I have two brothers. One's older by four years and one's younger by two. My older brother was going to the big public schools in Texas. And uh, he wasn't like a bad kid by any stretch of the imagination. But as you can probably imagine, the schools there, they're, they're really large. There's a lot of different angles you can go. And I think he was kind of in that curious spot. And my mom kind of saw like he can go a whole bunch of different directions. So she wanted to get my brother out of town. And so what she did is she sent him to this private school that's about 90 minutes northeast of the city of Houston. And there at this little private school, the guy who was our youth pastor in our church in the city of Houston was the basketball coach at this private school. So he was commuting back and forth. So anyway, in order for my brother to go to this school, this is when I was in the fifth grade, he had to go and live with this coach during the weekdays, and then he would come home on the weekends. So when I'm in the fifth grade, my older brother's out the house. Weekends would come around, he'd come home, and all he would talk about is like how they played basketball nonstop at this school. Because growing up, we didn't have like a membership to 24-hour fitness or, or any kind of hardwood gym. Sometimes it was hard even finding a place to play within our neighborhood. You know, like we'd be playing on one neighbor's basket one day and their basket would break or something. Then you got to find somewhere else. So my brother is coming back home telling me we have a full court glass bas uh, backboards, which was a big deal. <laughs> and all he's telling me all these stories. And the school's tiny, y'all. The school is like 140 kids, K through 12. But all I heard was basketball. So like that whole year when I'm in the fifth grade, I was asking my mom if I could go to the school. And she would like, like the parent of most, I think 10 or 11 year old kids, she was saying, no, no, no. But I never let up. And uh, going into that summer, she got to the point where she's like, all right, I'll give you a chance to go. And if anything changes with you, like your behavior, your grades, any of that, like you're coming right back. And I knew from that moment, like my life had completely changed because I knew I wasn't going to mess up that opportunity. So in my mind, I knew like, all right, I'm going to the school and this is where I'm going to graduate from. Whereas I think she was looking at it like, all right, we'll try it out. You know, he'll he'll probably like most kids that are 11 or 12 going into sixth grade. He'll probably miss mom and want to come back over a year, like three or four months into my time at this school. I stopped coming home on the weekends because that's when we started playing the most ball. So I got to a place where I'm in the sixth grade and I'm not even seeing my mom. And so like she knew how serious it was. And I think that was kind of the the uh, not wake up call necessarily, but kind of that enlightening moment to everybody of like, oh, he's really, really serious about this. Like I left all my friends. It was just me up there with my coach and my older brother. And then my my older brother ended up graduating a few years after and then it was just kind of me and then my mom. So what happened that sixth grade year when when I stopped going home, my mom started to look for houses in that area. And then she ended up moving to that area my seventh grade year. So um, I say all that to 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 say that's how serious I was about basketball. And uh, that's how ingrained I was in it. 
But here's where the the big awakening moment for me came. It was through those seven years from sixth grade to senior. The coach that I spent time with was like a father figure to me. But more than being a father figure to me, he was a basketball figure. And I try to I try to impress that upon people a lot when I talk about this, because it's easy to make the connection of a young man like myself who didn't have dad at home from two feeling the need to have a man in his life. And like, I never went through that. Like I never had any animosity towards my biological father. I still don't to this day. Um, I never felt like I missed out on son father moments. I, I just never look back at it like that. For me, the big, the big role that my coach played when he stepped in was he became the basketball figure that I needed as a kid who would do anything for basketball, who would follow any direction you gave me, who was willing to work harder than everybody else if you told me that's what I needed to do. So because of me, because of that coach, those seven years, he was always imparting good lessons into me and helping me understand, like, yeah, you can try to be a serious basketball player and it can do a lot of things for you and, like, follow that passion as much as you can. But throughout the process, understand that your identity is bigger than that. Your opportunity as you become a good basketball player, like there's things, there's certain doors that open, like how are you going to use that? And so I would just find all these lessons and um, kind of to the to what you were asking, Tara, like how much, I guess, does basketball and youth sports, how much can it, I guess, uh, steer your life in a way? I, I'm a firm believer because of my experience, it could just do so much because without that experience with me as a kid with my coach, I really don't think I am who I am today. It's, it's hard to know, like, what other road I might have gone down. But I very easily, if, if I had a coach, y'all, when I was growing up that told me all the wrong things to do, if I looked at him as my basketball figure, I would have done it. Like, I would have just taken after him, not knowing the difference of all the rights and wrongs at that time. And unfortunately, you have that these days. You have some people who are staring kids the wrong way, which, which sucks, but it, it is happening. And so as you as you kind of look like, how can we help the world? How can we make this big this this big good dent in society using our sports? I think it just comes down to all of us individually doing what we can and hoping that that somehow multiplies because of the work that my coach did with me one on one. I've been fortunate to be in a position now where I can go out and try to help a, a bigger group than he was able to help. And my hope is that one day there's some kid that whether I worked with them for a day or a year or 10 years, whatever it is, they're able to make an even bigger dent. And, and you just hope that that just keeps going on. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I, I actually wanted to, to tell you this because there is a young man I know who is getting into journalism who mentioned you and you as a basketball coach uh, oh. out at, I believe, Century. You did a, a, a couple camps out there, and he told me a couple days ago how much of an impact you had on him and how that has motivated him to, after seeing you as an analyst and seeing you as a coach and as a human being, how he wants to be as a writer. So I just wanted to pass that one on to you because that was told to me the other day, and I was like, you know what? That's actually pretty convenient because I'm going to talk to Lamar this weekend. So uh, cool. he, he said uh, – he goes, yeah, it was, it was strange to see. You know, I, I was remember being in middle school – or I think he said middle school. I think he said it was in eighth grade, and he's uh, – there was a camp that you used to run in, uh, out there. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, and he, he said that, uh, he, for whatever reason, he latched on to you and just kind of followed you and wanted to kind of emulate you. And then he saw you, he goes, Oh wow. That's, you know, that's the same guy. It's now calling games for the, you know, as an analyst for the trailblazers. And he wanted to take those kind of two things, you know, basketball and the, and the analysis and how to have that impact through writing. So, Oh, just, cool. just, just want to let you know you, you are having that impact. It, it, it is out there. Oh, good. Good. I, and I, I don't, I mean, and I know you know this, I, I don't like want it or need it for myself to know that like I made a difference or anything. Mm -hmm. I just, I just want the kids to be impacted. I want them to take it, take whatever it is. And like you're saying, this young man had told you, like it's changed the way he's looked at stuff and how he wants to pursue his career moving forward. So that's, that's where I get all my joy. I want to assure listeners that we're going to talk about the Blazers in a minute, but I have, I got a, I do have a follow up. That's my favorite. Tara has her mom questions. I know. Well, it's like on the Zoom calls that we do for work all the time now, I'm always like, but wait, I have one more. And everyone's like, oh. Yeah. So 
all of that having been said, um, you know, you were talking about, um, you know, youth programs that you're involved with. And before that, we were talking, you know, briefly about the shutdown and how everything has changed. One of the things that I keep wanting to talk to people about are how are what's the world going to look like when we open it back up again? And I keep going back to we could reopen or we could rebuild because like we could open and get back everything back to how it always was. Or we could take this opportunity to carefully, you know, reconstruct some of the things that in our society and as somebody who's involved with, you know, youth programs, um, you know, how are you, do you have any thoughts on how, when, you know, how you're going to ease back into, you know, activities and ways that, you know, the world has changed. And this is kind of putting you on the spot, like, how are you going to change the world? But, you <laughs> not, know, not at all. Great. It's a really easy question for me to answer right now, because my actual role in youth programs is more individual than organizational. So I still have my organization that I founded back in 2012 called the other side of basketball. It still runs, it still operates but when I, and, and this is something that I shared when I started Herd Mentality, is once 2016 rolled around and I did join the Blazers, I no longer had the ability to be a, a daily part of everything that was going on. And for me, if I can't be that, then I, I want to remove myself in, in certain ways because I think it's really important that our kids, our, our organization, is intended to be relational. You know, it's, it's, it's intended to mimic a lot of what I had growing up. And my coach for me wasn't a twice a month kind of guy or a, you know, every other week, uh, you know, like I, I saw my coach every day, we had a relationship and that's a big reason why he had, he was able to have the impact on me that he was able to have. So what I didn't want, because I would see this when I would try to still go and be a part of the kids games in 2016 or pop up at an event after I just came back off a 10 day road trip is uh, sometimes the the kids, because of who I now became in the role that I'm in, you know, being with the trailblazers for a kid, that's like, you know, that's like Danny just shared, like it's cool for the kids in a way it is, it started to serve as a distraction at times, you know, like if a kid's in the middle of a game and then I come walking in the gym and, you know, like I find them kind of, latching on to me and what I'm saying more than their coach who's been in practice with them the entire week. And so I just wanted to, I always was very hypersensitive about making sure I never take away from that experience. And I wanted the other coaches to become the figures uh, in these kids' lives where I'm still there, but it's just a bit of a different role. So what I'm trying to say is now for me, here we are in 2020, um, my, my role with youth programs is more just kind of coming in as a, as a help. Um, a prime example, that principal that I told you about that used to be at Vern McKinney Elementary, he's now South Meadows Middle School, and he and I talked a few months ago where he had an interest in me being a part of his school, kind of in a similar fashion to what you see Damian Lillard do with his respect campaign, mm-hmm. where he's not at those schools every day, but he he goes and he has an assembly with the kids. He does, you know, a few check-ins here and there. And so I'm establishing something like that with this principal at his school. And I, I have the ability, because I'm not nearly as busy as Damien is, but I can be, a, a, I guess, a greater physical part of it. Uh, but it still won't be anything like what it was for me prior to joining the Trailblazers. So I, I don't have to um, think about the whole thing of, you know, when do we reopen? How do we do this and this? Because I'm, I'm no longer making those decisions. Uh, but to, I guess, to answer your question in a way, like I think about it, though, for other people. And I do think if I was still in that role, what would I do? And I don't have a direct answer for that because I think it's it's ever changing. I think that there would be a plan in place, but there would be an understanding for everybody that it is tentative. And um you know, like you, you got to be for different, different people can take different levels of sacrifices and different people establish their organizations with different purposes and missions and things that they're willing to give up. And so for me, I was always somebody that I was willing to lose money in my organization if I felt like we were doing the right thing. So one way that came into play with youth basketball is in the youth basketball world, 
parents are very active, which I think that's the case in every sport, but I just have the experience of youth basketball. And you get some parents occasionally that if their kid isn't playing point guard when they wanted him or her to play point guard, they threaten to leave the organization. And so uh, for me, that was always a very easy, okay, I wish you all the best moving forward. If you need any help finding a new spot, I'd be happy to help. Because I didn't get into it for that, and losing your registration dollars never scares me. And so in this situation, I do know that one thing for me is um, the the decision that I would make, it wouldn't be financially driven. And um, I've been in a hole before by by, I guess, not making finances the top priority of an organization. But I've always felt that, you know, you make the right decisions, uh, you know, what's right to you and what's right to your heart and your mission, things, they find a way of working themselves out. And so I think I would just, I would make a tentative plan and and try to assure people that we're going to try our best to do this, but there would be an understanding that things might change. Because I, I think, Tara, there are people who are scheduling things and, I mean, all it takes is one outbreak or one person at this event that tested positive and then everything changes. So uh, I don't know. I think we're all going to be able to learn from people as we see what they do and how it plays out. Yeah. Well, I really heard you uh, emphasizing relationships. And one of the things I think we have learned is that relationships, you know, while it can be a little bit harder to maintain them when we're not physically present, it's totally possible to continue to maintain them. Um, if you have, you know, the right means to do that. So thank you for that. Um, I would love to transition to talking about the Blazers. Uh, now I don't know about you all, but this whole season to me has seemed weird and it like, it started off with the earthquake during summer league and it just got stranger (laughs) from there. I mean, there's been so much stuff. I forgot about that. That feels like forever ago. I know. I know. So with all of the strange things that have happened, uh, you know, since the beginning of the season, what are you going to remember most about this season? Wow. Um, most. Well, it doesn't be most. What are some of the things? Yeah. <laughs> we don't need yeah. to rank them. Well, that's a good question. And I'm going to think about like what most, I think, the, the the thing or the period that sticks out the most is when Kobe Bryant passed away and those other passengers in that helicopter, because there, there were a few things kind of just going on during that period. So number one, as we know, the Blazers weren't at a place where they were performing the way that we all hoped they'd be able to perform coming into this year. Tons of injuries, unexpected stuff happening. So, during that time, like I was really like people would ask me, like people would feel sorry for me when I would see like some Blazer fans or something or, and talk to them. They'd like feel bad for me. They're like, sorry, you know, the team isn't winning. And and it's like, well, I'm not I'm not one of the guys in the uniforms. So I don't I don't have to, I guess, wear wear the sadness the same way that those guys do. And and, and just so you know, like NBA players, they get over stuff really quickly. So like fans are normally <laughs> more upset or happier about a certain moment than players like nine times out of 10, if not 10 times out of 10. Um, but for me, I, I would always say, oh, no, like I'm excited to see how they're going to dig out of this because I've stated on multiple occasions. I feel like Damian Lewis, the best leader in sports. Uh, I feel like uh, CJ is, is one of the best counterparts not just from a playing standpoint, but just from a, a standpoint of like knowing his place within the organization while having the ability to be an elite basketball player. As he showed that time when Dane went out with injury and CJ played those six games, like he looked like an elite NBA point guard. So I just, I just felt like in with the leadership of Terry Stotts, I just felt like there's going to be a way they're going to dig out of this. And, and I don't know how, but I'm excited to see it. So with every loss, it's not like I got sadder. I just got more intrigued. Like, all right, all right, something's going to have to happen. And then Dame went crazy. Dame just lost his mind and went crazy. So that was fun to, like, start to watch as that was happening. And then the day the day Kobe passed away, uh, we, we were just talking about this, guys, before we came on camera, but the Lamarty Moore character that, that got established this year for the Decade Nights. If you remember, that was 90s night. Mm-hmm. And so the night prior, we had a dinner with the 90s players 
uh, Chris Dudley, Jermaine O'Neal, Rod Strickland, and we were all having a good time and talking. And I remember leaving that night, um, remembering like, oh, tomorrow's decade night. And like, Lamarty Martin didn't have his whole full outfit like finalized. <laughs> so I went home and had to go, you know, try to finalize what that was going to be. And then that next morning, the Sunday morning is when the news came in. I remember looking at my phone and d- saw the report. Kobe Bryant died in a helicopter crash or whatever, whatever the headline was. Mm-hmm. And it was like the craziest thing. And so immediately internally with the Trailblazer staff, um, you know, we just we, we had to start the conversation of how are we going to deal with this tonight? And is the game going to get canceled? What's going on? And I had assumed, but I just wanted to make sure, like with with my boss, um, hey, we're we're canceling like at least a decade night portion of it, right? Like so, like no Lombardi Martin tonight. They're like, yeah, we're not we're not doing that. So like that was the day that that character stopped. Um, and I just remember going into that game that night, and the whole thing just felt weird. I don't know any other way to describe it, but it just felt weird. Even from the time we were doing our show open. I remember just kind of looking out in the in the crowd and just I felt like I was gazing and it's not even like I have a personal relationship with Kobe Bryant or something like that. It's just I could feel the magnitude of what his passing was was starting to have on everybody else. And so that's what weighed on me. It's another one of those things where it's like, I'm fine. I, I'll be OK. I feel so bad for these other people, starting with his close family his wife and remaining kids. And then like players, we had players on the team that are close to him. Carmelo close to him. Uh, Trevor Ariza close to him. And then other, I mean, Dame C, I mean, everybody knows him to some, to some extent. And so once we were able to kind of get past that night, which was just a, it's a weird game. Dame went off again. Blazers won that night. Uh, we were the first game, as you guys know, in Staples center against the Lakers after the passing. And that whole thing, it, it was just that that was the weirdest part of the season, because if you were there at the start of it, it, it was basically like I felt like we had a funeral. Mm-hmm. I felt like we had a funeral service before the game. And we we went from a funeral to an immediate party, like where it's like like that. That's the comparison I make mm-hmm. is we just had this sad moment and now we're supposed to play a game and like guys are supposed to be high fiving and smiling and. But you, the game had to be played. And so everybody had to transition to that. And that whole night was just – it was also strange because, you know, like, like a typical L.A. Lakers game, all the stars are there and all that. But now, like, really everybody's there. Mm-hmm. And you got these performances going. It's like there was a concert before the game that was a funeral concert. And then Damien the whole time is going crazy. Like, he's putting on one of the best shows he's put on in his career – and it's at a time as the Blazers are trying to develop that momentum that I talked about that it's going to take in order to get back in the playoff race. So I just think that time period with the death and uh, the way Dame was playing, just kind of mixed in all that was probably the thing I will remember the most. Uh, right behind that, Carmelo Anthony joining the team would, would be right there. Um and then just the stoppage of play, the, the the fact that the season got suspended midseason, you know, like, I don't know, like, because we went we went from thinking, guys, like internally, we kind of knew that, like, oh, man, the next game we do, which would have been that Memphis game at home. No fans. There's a, yeah, there's a there's a chance there's not going to be any fans at the game. And uh, so, like, we were already mentally prepared for that. But, like, nobody was – was I don't want to say nobody. I was not mentally prepared for a full stoppage. And the night it happened, I was actually doing a Blazer community event where we had this She Hoop series, which is a series of basketball events for young ladies who are playing a game of basketball. And that night at their She Hoops clinic, it was supposed to be the finale. And the next day, they have kind of a celebration at the Memphis game where they get to come on a court, you know, like do all the fun stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's like their party. And that night, like I went into the clinic to go and talk to the kids before they start their drills. And I'm hanging out the whole night. And after I talked to them, somebody calls me to the back. It's one of our blazer um, youth coach managers. And I get a call from uh, Krista Stout, who's our vice president of innovation and impact, which is kind of hovers around over our community programs. And she's like, the season's canceled. Um, do you feel comfortable telling all the girls that are there? 
and 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 their parents because everybody's there. So I was actually happy I got to be there because I do feel like because I got to tell them and the parents, they kind of responded differently than they may have treated one of our youth coaches. And so I told them and, and they were just so sad and then, you know, kind of had to flip it and talk about like, OK, but when we come back, uh, how can I talk about you guys on air? And, you know, so we started. So then that kind of their mind went from like, we don't get to go tomorrow to like, oh, he's going to talk about us on air. <laughs> and so we just tried to start that whole thing. But that. So those are the three things that I think I will certainly remember the most. Let's let's go a little bit with this. Something I've wanted to ask you for a while in the the years now that you've been covering the team. What non-game winning, so basically non-Damian Lillard plays, (laughs) have been the most memorable and or enjoyable to watch and kind of take in courtside? Plays? Plays, sequences. Okay. Yeah. Non-Damian Lillard sequences. <laughs> you know, the whole Nurk fever thing that happened, that 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 will stick with me, I think, forever, just because it was my first year with the team. And you guys remember that first year where we were we were casting a lot of heat as broadcasters. Right? And um and um I just like everybody just felt sad. Like it was kind of like this season where the season prior the team achieved to such a high level expectations were risen and then it's like everything dropped. And then I guess to make it worse for a lot of the fans, it's like their broadcasters that they've had for such a long time. Now they're going too. So, um, I just remember the night when Nurk, the night Nurk came into Moda center, it was his first press conference. It was a TNT game and I was leaving. So what I like to do a lot of times for TNT games Either my wife and I will come to the game and watch it um, or and the or is what happens more times than not is we like to be at home watching it. Like I love watching games on TV and hearing what the announcers are saying and just being able to kind of look at the game differently and I get caught up in the in arena stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I was on my way out to arena. And as soon as I was about to turn to go down our broadcasting hallway, which which at that point, if I would have got through that door, I would have never seen what happened next. Soon as I was about to turn, Nurk comes in through the loading dock doors. And I was like, oh, okay, that's a big deal. Oh, yeah, he's got a press conference he's about to do. So I turned around and I just followed him. And I walked all the way down the hall and then he did his first press conference. And I just remember the stuff he was saying. And the thing that stuck out with me the most at that time is he was like, I need them and they need me. And it's like, yeah, like we, like we need something. <laughs> we need something out here right now, man, because it's tough. And, um, like just the Nurk fever hit, like basically right away. I remember that game at Utah he had where I feel like his stat line was something like 11 points or 13 points. And he had like five assists and he made some good passes and he just showed, he showed a a high level of skill right away. And I just felt really optimistic about him. And then the rest of that year, like it turned into Nurk fever. And I just feel like, um, like we've always, like, I, I felt bonded to him in a, in a weird way just because like his first year was my first year. And so, um, you know, like we were there, you know, together at the Mm -hmm. same time, like he was going through his own tough time in Denver. And then he, you know, once he joined, like things changed. And for, for me personally at that time, it wasn't like a tough time, but it's just like, there wasn't a lot of happiness following the team, my role with the team, you know, like there was just more negativity than positivity. And so um, that that would definitely be one thing that I remember a lot for sure. Um, Non-Damian Lillard, what else do we have? Gosh, I think, you know, just like some of the fun stuff, you know, like last year, you know, when, when, when Mo Harkless and Nurk, before each game, they would start this thing where they sneak up behind Kevin Calaro and me and like just even how that whole thing morphed, you know, like there's a, there's a bit of a story behind it. What happened is early that season, Mo, he ran out a couple of times and he would hit just me in the chest, like as he's running. And I, I feel like he didn't realize like he's running that, you know what I'm saying? That, that direction across me. So whatever he taps me with is hitting me with a little extra force. than if he was just stationary, <laughs> so, so, so like after like a third time, I told I told him I was like I was like Mo, 
Like, I don't mind you doing a slap. You know, I want you to be comfortable. You know, if that's your pregame ritual, but you got to take a little steam out of it. <laughs> so, 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 the, so like the next time he did it, he ran up and like he stopped at me, gave a tap and they kept running. And so then I, I said, all right, you don't have to do that. Like you can do the normal thing. So somewhere shortly after that, it turned into this whole thing where he would just run by and maybe either fake a tap or just not do anything at all. And then he'd circle back later on. <laughs> and after doing that a few games, Nurk caught on to it. And once once Nurk catches on to it, it's over. <laughs> like, it turns into an entirely different thing. Nurk turned that into him coming around like the lights that we have set up before we go on TV. And Nurk would run in front of the lights. Sometimes he would turn the lights off. He would detach the cord. So, like, we're about to go on, like, five Four, three, two, lights off. Click. Somebody got to hurt and turn the lights back on. And it got to the point where our director of broadcasting had to have a conversation with, like, the basketball ops crew and be like, hey, we need you guys to tell Nurk he's got to stop. Stop messing with the lights. Yeah, and so Nurk stopped messing with the lights finally. At least I think so, guys, because here's the thing. He didn't play in the game this year, so we don't know if he really stopped yet. That remains to be seen. But then it just started this whole thing. And and that stuck out just because that team last year, that's the kind of togetherness that was kind of developed. And it happened over years. And that's just that just comes from being with the team over years. Like those guys weren't doing that with with me in year one. But, you know, after years of getting to know one another and, and understanding one another, like you just start seeing those little kind of family dynamics come out and play. So that was a lot of fun. And, and that made even the Western Conference final run. Um, that much more exciting. Oh man, looking back on last year, I just I appreciated it while it was happening, but from this vantage point of not having been even able to watch live basketball since the middle of March, just makes me appreciate that whole run so yeah. much more, so much more. Yeah. So one of the things that we've talked about on the podcast is that there's a lot of things we didn't find out this year. Like, obviously, Nurk didn't play, and we never got to see him play. Zach Collins got injured right as soon as the season started. We never got to see, you know, what that was going to be like. What do you think are some of the things that we did learn this year, though? Well, the easy one is uh, in relation to your guys' other podcast guest, Gary Trent Jr. Uh, he's, he's an NBA player. I think he, he has a shot to be a really good one. So Gary, Gary, and you probably already know this, but he, in case you don't, he uh, spent all of last offseason in Portland for the most part. Like he was here working. That wasn't a decision that was made last second. I remember a time last year, I feel like we were in Boston, and uh, Gary came up to me, and he was already – looking at uh, possible opportunities for his girlfriend to be able to uh, work in the Portland area in the off season. I remember, and he was just kind of picking my brain, just, you know, knowing that I've been in the area for, for a long time, just seeing what's going on. And uh, I remember after he did it, I started to think about it and I was like, wait a minute, Gary don't, you don't live in Portland. You know, like a lot of guys go back home or somewhere else to train and, Especially like Duke guys, Duke guys can always go back to Duke and and you know have really good scrimmages and stuff. And so I remember after that conversation, it hit me like, oh, he's already making plans for like what he's gonna do in the off season right now, and he don't have to do that right now. And so like I could, I just kind of had a feeling like his mind was focused on getting some serious work done in the off season, and like he was gonna be planted in area, which was the case for him. So um, seeing that like he's 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 like an NBA rotation player for real, for real. That was great to see. And I think um, what else did we learn? Um, I think we learned that Damian Lillard can change the game. So going into this season, when people would ask me, what do I think that that Dame's next level is? I would always say, I think his next level is he's got to change the game in a similar fashion to what like Steph Curry and Klay Thompson did in Golden State. Like Steph Curry and Klay Thompson, because of how dominant they were as a tandem, they changed the way people draft. They changed the way people uh, play five-man lineups, like this whole small ball and being comfortable with it. 
they 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 changed the narrative that you can't win a championship shooting jump shots. So um, they just they changed the game. And uh, I just felt like I felt like Dame could do the same thing. Like Damon, I I never get involved um, on on Twitter with the conversations of this guy's better than this guy, this guy's better. Because first of all, there's a lot of people arguing it that that already have a bias and and just can't look at something objectively. But like I I believe that if Dame was replaced, if Dame had replaced Steph Curry and played for Golden State that they could have the same or very similar trajectory as what they've had the last few years. Um, I feel like he's that good. So coming into this season, I would say Dame's got to, he got to change the game. He's got to, he's got to make people defend differently. He's got to make people game plan differently. And that's exactly what he did. He started shooting from, from 35 and 40 feet with regularity. And it changed the way defenses picked up. It changed the way screens are set. It's like you, it is so weird. Um, I know. Have you both, Danny? I know you've been on an NBA court because I see you there before <laughs> games and everything. Tara, have you been on an NBA court before? Not down on one. I've been real close, but not okay. down on one. So, and 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 that's the case for most people. Um, when you get on an NBA court, you see exactly how big it is, and how wide it is, how long it is. There's a lot of space, and a few steps in front of half court is a long way from the basket. Like. <laughs> It's a really long way. You're not supposed to be able to shoot. A lot of basketball players can't even, you can't shoot with your regular form when you're that far from the basket. It's just that far. And we're talking about some of the strongest athletes in the world. Um, Dame, he starts his offense from there. And so now screens are being set there. And there's like four people right in front of half court because the screener and his defender has to be up. And, and it's just, it's weird. And it's it's because of how far he can shoot and the kind of accuracy, and like just to see him coming across half court and see defenders like because from our level we can look right into their eyes, we can see into the defenders' eyes, and to see their eyes kind of raise as Dame just looks at the rim, and it's like, dude, he's two steps in front of half court. You're not supposed to you're not supposed to take that seriously in basketball, but he made people take that seriously, and so um, seeing that from him uh, really. Uh, I guess it just makes me even more optimistic because I still think he's he can get even better. Like I, I firmly believe, and I said this before Dame, I saw he did an article about it. So somebody asked him about it. But before that even happened, I remember watching the game and I turned to Kevin and I said, I think he's going to shoot behind half court. I really think he's going to shoot behind half court. And like normal, like normally like walk up to half court and shoot. And Kevin kind of joked about it and, and I was like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm like not joking. I'm dead serious. I think he's going to shoot from half court. And then I remember like shortly after that, like a few games after I was walking out after a game and leaving and Damien's brother, Houston Lillard, who we talked about community stuff earlier. Houston's yeah. a huge contributor to our community, does so many good things with kids and sports. And so he shout and I demos. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out to Jefferson. <laughs> uh, he normally does. Uh, we normally talk about stuff like that. But like we got into a conversation one time shortly after uh, Dame's explosion and I was talking to him and I said, I said, I think he might shoot from half court at some point. And Houston just kind of looked at me and he gave me a look like, yeah, it's coming. You know, like it's going to happen. And I said, wait a minute, have y'all, have y'all talked about shooting? And he just looked at me and said, you know, just kind of. Just, just watch out. <laughs> for, for those that don't know, and Lamar's talking about like being down the court for, for pregame warmups. Lamar, where does Dame warm up from? Oh, he walked uh, half court. <laughs> and it, with regular ease. Doesn't half step court. into it. His shot looks exactly the same. It maybe looks like he puts a, just a little bit more on it. It's the most ridiculous thing. I've Him and Steph doing the, the tunnel shot, those are the two most ridiculous things I think I've ever seen in the pregame warm up. They just, the, the absolute ease that they do it with is, you, you can't believe it until you see it with your own eyes. Yep. I'd have to agree. I'd have to agree with you. It's it's amazing. So watching him change the game this year, um, that's just that. It, like I was saying, it, it gives me uh, some kind of optimism looking in the next year because I still think he's got more levels, and um, I, I think he single handedly um, can do enough to like what we saw, like win playoff series. But uh, with him and uh, with the other guys getting better and. 
uh, seeing, seeing, seeing Hassan. I mean, we don't know what, you know, Hassan's contract situation is going to be moving forward or anything like that, but seeing like what he can bring to the table and kind of put in the bed some of the, uh, I guess, negative feedback that a lot of people in NBA circles had about him. And some still have it. And that's, that's fine. But his teammates love him. And, you know, his coaching staff, they're, they're very happy with him and what he's been able to do. So that's some of the stuff we were able to see, um, I think. And then CJ. CJ playing that point guard role and being really elite in it, in my opinion. Uh, looking like a true point guard. A lot of times when you transition a guy who's a scorer into that role, it looks a little forced. And to me, it didn't look forced at all. Uh, so those are some of the good things we were we were able to see. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Some things that I had never, you know, really thought about in that way, especially the Nurk fever and you two kind of coming around along at the same time. That's that's really cool. One of the things that always amazes me is so far in the last several years, anyway, the Blazers ability to work in somebody at the trade deadline. And, you know, Trevor Ariza was one of those examples this year that I always, you know, so much of this team, like you were talking about before, is a result of, you know, having been together for a long time, but at the same time, they've had success, you know, here's Rodney Hood, and here he is, comes up, and, you know, Ennis Cantor also last year coming in and making a big difference at the end of the year, and then Trevor Ariza uh, this year. So, gosh, I just can't wait for basketball to start up again. I, I agree, and you reminded me, yeah, Rodney Hood. That was another, like, super bright spot at the start of this year. Rodney, Rod, to me, Rodney... He has all-star ability. It might sound crazy because, you know, it's like, okay, Rodney's never going to make an all-star game, which we, we don't know what the case will be for his future moving forward. I'm just saying his ability, like as a shot maker, uh, the mismatch he can be. I feel like if he was like a, in a really aggressive, selfish mindset, then, you know, like the numbers would be higher. He'd jack up shots. He'd do. But it's a good thing because all of his shots are good shots. You rarely see Rodney shoot like a shot that was – that you say, um, ah, that defender defended that really well. Like, he made that difficult on Rodney. It's tough for them to do it. Like, you saw it in the playoff series last year against Denver. Jamal Murray was in front of him, but he's just too little. Rodney just turns around and shoots over guys. So Rodney got off to such a fantastic start, and I was really excited about him because I just – I think his skill set can be a difference maker. I, I, I think in the same way, guys, that um, a Harrison Barnes was that third perimeter piece for Golden State. And really helpful to them, Rodney, to me, can easily be that for the Blazers. Yeah, you don't shoot 50% from three taking bad shots. No, exactly. <laughs> exactly. You don't. I mean, you're not supposed to shoot 50% from three anyways, so. <laughs> I, I know. I know. But we'll he take just, it. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead, Derek. I was just, just going to wrap us up because we've already taken a lot of your time and yeah. I'm so grateful oh, that you came on. Make sure you get all your questions in. I don't want you to be <laughs> worried about time. So you don't stuff, know me enough that, to know what that how many questions that is. <laughs> <laughs> Dan would warn right. you. <laughs> it's true. And then I'll, I'll start rambling. And then, you know, that's why it's just, it's never, it's not, it's not good, man. Um, I, I will say this. Um, Thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. We wanted to have you on for a while and just, you know, making time and, and, and coming in and just kind of talking about everything that's going on with, you know, the basketball side of things, the, the work that you're doing in the community, working as an analyst, the relationships. Like, I think that a lot of times, like, especially like me, who's so into just the basketball. Like I, I, I am so headstrong into development, player development and, and looking at young guys. And like, that's, that's like where my passion is. Sometimes I lose track of all the other things like that come along with them. And I, I love having you not only here, but on the broadcast, because you provide that perspective that allows that, that narrative to kind of come in there of not just the analysis of basketball, but like the analysis of people and everything else that comes along with that. So I just wanted to, to, to thank you for, for providing that last couple of years and look forward to you, you know, doing it when we, when we come back. Um, and, and really, I, I think, I think this is uh, the last question I'll ask you or we'll ask you is that when basketball comes back, what are, you know, as, as a, as a broadcaster, what are some of the things that you're looking at 
how they may play out as far as how you call a game. And, you know, you, you said, talked about looking into the eyes of the defense. There's a good possibility that you're not going to be courtside. Mm-hmm. And now you're going to have to, you know, go through that. So what are some of the things you think you're going to have to overcome or what are some of the, the challenges or um, things that you can take a look at and possibly, you know, explore? Yeah. Uh, well, before I answer that, I wanted to just quickly respond to what you said before. Um, thank you for saying all that. Um, I, I, uh, I feel really fortunate and just grateful for the type of team that we have with the trailblazers. One thing that I've been able to see just kind of traveling around talking to people who do my role for other teams, they don't have it as good as we have it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that, it starts with the star player because star players run the league and our star player and Damien, it, it really doesn't get any better than him in terms of what he does for us as the broadcast team to help make our jobs easier the type of relational person he is, I could really go on and on. So, so it's really, it's truly a pleasure for me whenever I'm broadcasting or doing some interview or something. And I can kind of enlighten people on that because that story should be told. And it's our job to tell that story. And one day when Damien does lead the Blazers to a championship, um, it's going to feel so much better when people understand uh, his full story, same goes for CJ, same goes for Nurk, same goes for whoever, whoever else is here, because it truly is a team-wide culture. And uh, it's that's 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 my favorite part about the team. And uh, it, it doesn't just stop with Dame and the players, but Terry Stotts. Terry Stotts is, uh, he's just exceptional in terms of understanding his role within the organization, knowing the type of impact he can have. I'll give a quick example. We did a Zoom call with all Trailblazers employees. Well, they were all invited to, to be on the call. And I think about 90 or so joined the call. We were playing like just a, a trivia game, just for fun. And Coach Stotts agreed. Somebody asked him to just do like the first round of the trivia. And we had three rounds and a bonus questions. And uh, he agreed to do it, which is no surprise to anybody who knows him. Um, but then, and this, I guess, shouldn't be a surprise either. He stayed the entire game. And not only did he stay the entire game, but he's making jokes with people left and right. And he's just making it a good time for everybody because he understands all of our employees who work in the business side of things. They don't they don't travel with us. So they don't get a chance to be around Coach Joss as much as we do. And um, he understands that he has a chance to make people's days and he never misses that chance. He never misses that opportunity. If any of us have a birthday or something, a significance kind of go on, you're going to get a text from Coach Dots every time. I, 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 He's actually, he has beat my mom to wish me <laughs> happy birthday. I'm dead serious. I'm dead serious. And, uh, and it's just like, man, that's, and I'm the worst with like wishing people happy birthdays and like staying up to date on all that stuff. So I'm just always really impressed by that anyway. Um, but I just wanted to address that because uh, I, I I really do look forward to being able to talk about the the character and the just kind of the integrity of the people we're able to work with because that's going to make the story a lot sweeter once we get to the the basketball good side. Um, so now that I've rambled about all that, Danny, I forgot about what your question actually was. So can you please refresh me? I'll, I'll, because I rambled the question, I'll, I'll I'll be a little more succinct this time. When you get back to broadcasting, what are the challenges you think you're going to have to overcome? Because you're not going to be courtside. Like, are there things in your mind that you're thinking, I want to try this, or here's how I think we can accomplish this goal. Yeah. I'm not worried about any challenges because in general, I'm like a control what you can control person. So if there's, if there's something like, okay, you guys are going to be courtside, you're going to broadcast in the studio. It's like, all right, there's no point in me being upset about it or, or, you know, trying to think about it. It's like, okay, it's time to now. Think about, all right, how am I going to successfully broadcast in a studio or whatever comes with that? So once you make that mental adjustment, um, I do. I I just kind of I don't want to say expect the worst because in my mind, none of it's bad. But it's like, I guess, expect the fewest resources. Mm -hmm. So, I I mean, I've even thought about it like because we don't know what's going to happen. So I've thought about it like, hey, if we do broadcast a game then 
we might have to do it using the opposing team's TV feed. Like maybe the NBA is like, nope, you guys don't get to use your home feed for whatever reason. I don't know. And you got to use the opposing team's feed. And the reason that 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 is of significance is because when you're using the opposing team's feed, they determine what is shown on the screen. They determine what replay is shown. They determine who is who is uh, who gets a close up zoom in at certain times. And so you have to be able to follow that because otherwise we might be talking about something that the camera is telling an entirely different story <laughs> of what we're talking about. Yeah, you're so, not getting that foul replay. Yeah, yeah, not getting a foul replay. So stuff like that, that that would be a challenge, but it just it is what it is. And most likely whatever we might have to endure, everybody has to. Every broadcasting team has that set of challenges. So um I guess that that would be one thing is is do we call games in the studio? Are we there? Are, are we even calling games? You know, like is the are are we are we having to contribute in some other manner? I don't know. With the quiet with the quiet arena, now everybody can hear what you're saying. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's never really been our style anyway to I guess downgrade a player or or you know talk ill of a player specifically an opposing player like um but i mean it might be a joke or two here or there or something or even about the ref Mm -hmm. you know like i remember one game we were doing and leon wood the official was like he called like three fouls in like 20 seconds and i don't remember (laughs) what it was and then kevin kevin started like joking about him and you know he would just make these little cracks left and right and it's the kind of thing where, like, if Leon Wood goes back and watches the game and hears it, he's like, oh, Kevin, he's, you know, he's having a good time with me. But in the moment, mm-hmm. if Leon Wood hears that, it might come across a little differently. So now the ref is running past the, the, past the table kind of giving you a side eye because he heard what you said about him. So, like, things like that I've thought about a little mm-hmm. bit. But, hey, it, it just it is what it is. It is what it is. I kind of I kind of feel similar to this as I did when we went into that that game at Staples Center, which was Kobe Bryant's memorial, which is like nobody really has a blueprint for how to how to tackle this night, but just get in it, immerse yourself in it, and figure it out as you go. And um, I'm prepared to do that if um, if that's if that's what the opportunity demands. <laughs> the whole time you were talking, I just kept thinking about back, you know, in the day where it was just like the phone and the they would get the the call from the phone and then they would like say it on the radio and that was all that they had. So at least we've come farther than that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we have. I think yeah. Rich Patterson has some good stories about trying to uh, get some things yeah. broadcast under some difficult <laughs> circumstances. Yeah. So yeah. You got him on your team. You'll figure it out. Yeah. It, and, and as crazy as that is, I bet Rich didn't think he'd see this, you know, of all the yeah. things seen, I, I bet he didn't think he'd see this. Yeah. Well, once again, I want to thank you so much for joining us today and telling these awesome stories. It's been really great to hear from you and how you've been doing. Um, can you, is the, um, is your show on a regular programming schedule or how can people find it? Yeah, it's on NBC Sports Northwest every Thursday at 6 p.m. So that's where you can find it. And if you miss that 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 show, the first airing of that week's episode, uh, there's several replays throughout the week. So, like, if you set your DVR, you might miss, you know, if you miss the Thursday at 6 p.m. one, then you, you'll catch one of the replays. OK, right on. And you know what? Yeah. We need like a group in live Instagram between like you and Kevin and Brooke, just like some random like, you know, well, we got to get Kevin on Instagram first. That's <laughs> it. The, the, the problem with that is one of those people that you just named refuses. <laughs> he won't join. You know, you know what well, I think fine, we, need? we need to we need to find like fans need to find a way to uh, like make a deal with them, some kind of challenge. Or somebody Something. else could just sit in in his place and, you know, Danny's going to take your place. Sorry, Kevin, <laughs> until you're ready to get on Instagram. <laughs> oh, oh just, just put the muscle on him right away. Just put yeah. the spot. I mean, all, he, all he's going to get then is just pictures of, like, food. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, half my IG lately is, like, 
Hey, look, I'm I'm stuck at home, and here's what I cooked today. Well, there are Instagram accounts that are dedicated just to food, so that's not yeah, a bad. Thing. It's, I mean, I get it. Dan's gonna start yeah. his lifestyle lifestyle blog soon. Yeah. It's, well, <laughs> it's, you know, it's, I I actually got a chance to see Kevin, so I saw Kevin for the first time uh, two days ago. So we're doing we're, we're, we're one of the things. He well, I didn't see because he had a face mask on. Oh. So we're one of the teams doing the antibody study right now. So we went to Moda Center for that, and his time was directly in front of mine. So I saw him just kind of in passing. We talked for literally 15 seconds, and uh, then he he got out of there. Then I went in and, and did my deal. Um, but he's – and it's another funny reason um, or another funny part about you bringing him up is – and I'm checking my phone right now because he told me he wanted to call me this weekend, and he hasn't called. So he's been saying – the thing is he's been saying – for like a week and a half or two weeks, like, hey, I'm going to call you. And I said, okay. Yeah. Hey, I'm going to call you. So then I saw him two days ago at Motor Center. He's like, hey, I'm going to call you. He's like, Kevin, call anytime. Sends me a text that night. I'm tired right now. I'm going to call you over the weekend. We are now in Sunday. We're not hours. Yeah. The weekend is almost over, and I still have not gotten a call from Kevin. So not only does he not join Instagram, but he doesn't call you when he says he's going to call you. And he can't be skiing right now because there's no, there, not- there's no snow up there. There's not it there, but I wouldn't put it past him to go find the snow. <laughs> Wherever it is, he'll go find it. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Lamar, where can everybody find you on social media? You can find me at L underscore herd on Instagram or on Twitter. Here we go. That's where I'm at. And uh, I just want to thank you again for joining us, man. We really appreciate it. Um, Hope you're staying safe. You, the family, everybody doing well. Uh, Tara, go ahead and let everybody know where they can find you. You can find me on Twitter at TCB Biggs. And as always, folks, you can find me at Danny Brang at D-A-N-N-Y-M-A-R-A-N-G. And when basketball comes back, you can find me and Joe Simons on Blazers Outsiders after Lamar and Kevin wrap up the game. Uh, I think we're still going to be around. Possibly. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't heard. So I hope so. I hope so. I like I like normally when I get home from a game, if it's a home game, uh, right as I'm kind of pulling in, coming inside, like you guys are the first thing I see on the TV screen. So I'm sorry. You see sports. No, no, you don't have to apologize. You you don't have to apologize. I enjoy it. Oh, I appreciate it, man. Yeah. Again, thank you for joining us. And uh, I, I'm still contractually obligated to at least finish out this 82 game season. So uh, <laughs> basketball comes back under the 2019, 20 season, Joe, and I will, will indeed be back um, again. Thanks for joining us, man. For Tara, I'm Danny. We'll catch everybody next week. Bye.